after many studies, I think this is number 67, <laughs> um, we're coming to the conclusion of the book. So this will carry us right to the end of the book. Uh, we're, part, we're done with it when we're through with this passage. So turn to Romans uh, 15, 14. Uh, a normal letter in the ancient Near East, shouldn't say that, a normal letter in the Roman imperial times had, uh, especially a kind of official letter, would have the point that the author is trying to make and, and, and fully developed. But then there would be some kind of general comments at the end, either personal comments or uh, general exhortations, and that's what we have here in this section of uh, Romans. So this is not directly developing all that Paul has been saying through chapter 15, 13, but it's not completely unrelated either. Uh, so we're, we're coming to a um, relatively um, diffuse part of the book. Immediately, he, in verses uh, 14 to, um, well, verse 14, he states his confidence about the, the, the Romans. Um, as we've been reading this book, I've been arguing that there, uh, the, the book is written because there is division at the church at Rome. One of the major commentaries, one of the major commentaries on the book of Romans, it's widely recognized as the best currently available, says I'm wrong. How do you feel about this? I, well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you how I feel about that. I, I, was, inter I was interviewing for a, a faculty position in a college on the, on the East Coast a number of years ago, and... Um, I was with the non-Bible faculty, and they were asking questions and so on. One of the men, evidently, he was a science professor. He said, what would you think if someone in a science class here at this Bible college uh, taught theistic evolution? And I thought to myself, he's the science teacher. So I said, well, I would think he was wrong. But then he would think I was wrong. They all laughed, and I knew I had given the right answer, and we moved on. So I, I don't have any problem with that, ultimately. Um, I respect this guy hugely. And number one, he's a huge guy. He's <laughs> getting near seven feet. I don't know how tall he is, but when I saw him for the first time, I thought, yikes, <laughs> he is huge. Um, uh, but he is hugely important. He's made a huge contribution to New Testament studies in our day. But... Um, I know I can be wrong. No. Well, I know. I, I understand. I, and, and you answered that right. Uh, do, do you know who Jeannie Robertson is? If, if you get a chance, get on YouTube and, and, and bring up J-E-A-N-N-E -N -N Robertson. She's a southern humorist, fascinating woman. She was Miss North Carolina uh, at six foot three. Uh, and um, uh, she's still going. Uh, she said, I'm 67 years old. And she said, now you didn't respond to that right. You're supposed to say, no. And so she said, I'm going to do it again. You respond right. I'm 67 years old. And they all said, no. And she thought that was marvelous. And <laughs> Rachel responded right. I know I can be wrong. I also know that others can be wrong. So it doesn't bother me. I wish he was right. <laughs> uh, 
But if, if the book is about the divisiveness in the church at Rome, and he's been writing about grace since chapter 1 all the way through to 1513, uh, then uh, his commendation of them is practicing what he's preaching. Go back to chapter 1 just a moment. And let me show you that in chapter 1. Um, verse 9, God is my witness whom I serve in my spirit in the gospel of his son, how ceaselessly I make mention of your prayers, always in my prayers, begging if by, by some means at some point I might find my way uh, successfully in the will of God to come to you. He's saying the same thing at chapter 1 that he said in, in chap- he's, he's going to say in chapter 15, but he goes on. Um, I, I lo- verse 11, I long to see you. Why? Yeah, well, what does he think he is? I, I, I long to come to you to bring some spiritual gift to you. What, who, who do you think you are, Paul? He thinks he's an apostle called by God. And as such, he's going to bring some spiritual blessing to them, yes? But he goes on, so that you might be strengthened. Verse 12, that is, that there might be a... a, a mutual encouragement uh, among, among you through the faith that's in, you, that's in you and in me. Are you with me here? He's already, at chapter 1, is already doing what he's going to ask for them to do. Here are, a, here are a people marked by two characteristics, weak and strong. The weak condemn the strong and the, and the strong despise the weak. And it's all over. The whole point of the divisiveness is over what kind of food you can eat. A matter that God has left to us, we are free to eat or not to eat because we're children of God, we have that freedom. But we do not have the freedom uh, to use our freedom to oppress others. Does this make sense? So so that the issue is the strong must quit despising the, the weak and the weak must quit condemning the strong. But Paul is already practicing that with people who urgently need correction from the, from the Holy Spirit. Yes? Mm-hmm. They're violating the very grace of God by the way they live in their life in the community of the church. Because they think somebody who does or doesn't eat is, is better off spiritually because he does or doesn't eat. That has nothing to do with the grace of God. It has nothing to do with being a Christian. Being a Christian means... That we live by grace. But if we live by grace, then we practice grace. Grace is the whole hallmark of our life. If that's the case, then Paul's already, he's still practicing it here in verse 14. So, I I am persuaded, my brothers. Now, you are not surprised that Paul calls them brothers? Are you? He only uses that about five times in the book of Romans. Out of... All the material that we've read, it's on, this is, I think, only the fifth time it's been used. So here he uses it because they are brothers. Yes? I've never had a brother physically. Um, I don't know what it would look like. Um, but I suspect in a healthy family, brothers might fight with each other. Is that true, guys? No, not at all. <laughs> at least not now, huh? Because you could take your other brother. 
every Sunday there's a ceasefire. <laughs> What'd you say, Gail? I said I don't think they have to be healthy families. <laughs> but they'll fight against anybody who wants to attack a brother. Yeah, that's right. Yes. So they'll defend a brother pretty heavily. Yes. Well, that's where these people have to get. I have to get to the point that I'm, I, I will defend you against even myself. Do you follow? I live by grace. So I, I am persuaded about you, my brothers, even I myself about you, that you are full of goodness, filled with all understanding, able even to exhort one another. Um, so, so he knows he has an unusual confidence that they're actually going to take this letter to heart and go, go practice it. My mentor in Memphis was a consummate optimist, a consummate optimist. We were going through, we, we shared the teaching duties at a church for about eight years or so, and um, uh, he was just confident. If you just confront the people of God with the truth of God, they will immediately recognize it, apply it, and carry it out. You know what happened to that church. It split, and it was an ugly split. It was a horrible uh, situation. You know something, though, when the church split? Um, number one, the giving game went up, and number two, the fellowship got better. Are you with me here? Uh, it was a hard time. I... I tell you, those were some hard times. I, I would not want to go back through that again. Uh, but he was just confident that if you confront the people of God with the truth of God, they'll embrace it and put it into practice. Paul seems to have that same kind of confidence about the Romans. That's awfully encouraging to me. He's never been there. He doesn't know the people. He knows some of the people, but he's never been there. And yet he has this kind of confidence. I wonder, though, if it's not a different kind of confidence than I'm thinking about, at least in the comments I've made so far. I had a pastor uh, back when I was in my service days, and uh, when I, um, he, he, at the church we, he worked at and I attended, they licensed me to preach. I'm not still sure what that means exactly, but... Um, um, got a license to carry a weapon too I'm not sure if they're the same <laughs> but <laughs> so but but um, uh, he said to me one day I I'm confident about that you he said it's going to be hard for you to be a pastor um, but I'm confident that you will do what's necessary I have thought about that statement on many occasions over the years I think it was more encouragement exhortation than it was a statement of fact do you, do you follow what I'm saying? I, I don't know to uh, which way to go with this statement in verse 14, whether Paul is really confident about them or whether he is still exhorting them but in a very positive way. Does this make sense to you? Yeah. Is it because possibly he was a Roman citizen himself? He had citizenship there? N no, I don't think so. Uh, he, he's writing to people who most, many of whom would not be Roman citizens. Um, by the second century, and this is a little bit un, un, uh, invalid to go to this, but by the second century, um, so 80 years after Paul, um, the, the majority of the members of, of the people in the church were very poor or slaves. 
and so most of the most of the poor who were not slaves might have been Roman citizens, but the slaves wouldn't have been. And so the citizenship issue probably didn't enter into it. It was probably a matter of the work of the Spirit in their lives and, and their responsiveness to the Spirit. But verse 15 moves on. So verses 15 to 21, I have written boldly to you to call you to grace because I myself minister under grace by his power so that the Gentiles will be my offering to God sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So 15 to 21 I have written to you rather boldly, um, and the next phrase is a little hard to, to know exactly what it means, but in some translations it reads in, in various parts, meaning the parts of the letter. Uh, as, as a means of reminding you, through the grace that has been given to me by God, so that I am a, a, a servant. Do you have servant? Minister? Minister? Minister. Uh, yeah. Um, this word is very frequently used of Levites and, and sometimes of priests in the Old Testament. And because of the context, I'll show you, I think he's using priestly language here. He's not thinking of himself as a priest. All of us have this same thing. This is the word, no, it's not. It's related to the word that appeared in Romans 12.2, 12, which is your reasonable service. Yeah? So it's in the same field of meaning as, as that is. Um, I am a servant of Christ for the Gentiles, the next word is fascinating, doing priestly work, of uh, uh, offering priestly work of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles, and here, what is the offering? Do you have offering of the Gentiles? Yes. yes. Right? What does that mean? It could mean one of two things. The, offerings, the offering that, that I'm making as in the persons of the Gentiles who come to faith or the, uh, the offering that the Gentiles will make because of my ministry. So the praise of God that will come from the Gentiles. I think it's the first. Uh, so that I'm, it, it, let me paraphrase it, so that I might offer the Gentiles as a, as a well-pleasing sacrifice um, sanctified in the Holy Spirit. Um, so I have boldness in Christ Jesus in the things that pertain to God. I, 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 for I, am, I will not be bold to speak of anything that Christ has not worked through me for the obedience of the Gentiles as I have labored in work and in speech by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God so that from, Illy from Jerusalem all the way round to Illyricum uh, the, uh, I have fulfilled the gospel of Christ. Uh, so I counted a, a, a very valuable thing to preach the gospel not where Christ is named so that uh, I might not build upon anyone, anyone else's foundation, but as it is written, uh, he shall be seen by him, by those who have not heard, or to whom it was not announced, and those who have not heard will understand. So here we have this paragraph. We've said enough about it, I think, to make it make sense. The point is that Paul is exercising his apostolic ministry and his apostolic ministry as all spiritual gifting is is a priestly service look back at verse 16 that's an important verse um, we're using priestly language here we have four expressions uh, minister I uh, don't know how the your text will read uh, ministering the gospel of, of God 
what do you have there? Minister of Jesus Christ. Yeah, and it, that follows that. Uh, uh, ministering the gospel of God. Uh-huh. Yeah. Special, Special messenger. Special messenger, pardon? Priestly, Priestly service. service. The, the word is made up of, of two Greek words that mean a priest operating, a priest functioning. Uh, and then I have offering, which is not five dollars. <laughs> this this word, this word doesn't occur very often in the Greek text translation of the Old Testament, but the but the now the verb does over 140 times. Most of them, 68 of them, in the book of Leviticus, having to do with sacrifice. So we're using sacrificial language there, and then finally, well pleasing, is sacrificial language. This is. This is the way you describe a priest's work. Paul is doing priestly labor, and his, the, the, the result of his priestly labor, labor is not death but life. The result of his priestly labor is not an animal burned on an altar. It's a whole people group offered before God with, with eternal life. I was meditating on the Lord's Supper this morning. Um, oh, my. I... I'm excited about what, where I came out with some of these things. There, there was an insight I got this morning that I have not ever had before, and it was delightful to get that. Um, I've always heard that when you write, uh, it helps you think. This was the first time. I've done a lot of writing, and it's the first time it helped me think, but it really did. <laughs> uh, if, if, if I'm the measure of that statement, writing will help you think, it's wrong. Uh, uh, just take it from me. But, but, but um, here, this is exciting too, folks. In, in our ministry, in our spiritual gifting, as we are serving, we are doing priestly labor. And the effects of our priestly labor, whatever it is, the effect of our, spiritual la- our, of our priestly labor is sacrifice that we offer to God. Uh, turn to Hebrews 13. The same idea occurs there. I think it's verse 15 where it starts. Well, we can start a little earlier than that. Um, verse 10. Hebrews 13.10. Um, we have an altar from which to eat that those who serve at the tabernacle have no authority to eat. The bodies of those animals, I'm sorry, the blood of those animals is offered for sin or as a sin offering at the holy place through the high priest, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. Therefore, you see the, the priestly, tabernacle, sacrificial kind of context that we're in. Uh, therefore, also Jesus, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, Let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach, for we do not have here an abiding city, but we are looking for one. Through him, therefore, let us make the sacrifice of praise. Uh, That is a specific phrase, that sacrifice of praise. Is that what you have? That's a specific phrase that occurs only once in uh, in the rest of the Bible. I think. I think that's right. And that's in Leviticus chapter 7. I think it's in verse 11. Uh, what's interesting is that my marginal references don't even give any reference to that. Leviticus 7, I think it's verse 11, where it is one of the, one of the kinds of the, of the peace offering. 
and it's the uh, most expensive, most important of the, of the three kinds of a, of a peace offering, we have a sacrifice to offer. Are you with me here? Through him, let us make the sacrifice of praise. And then he defines it, that is, the fruit of lips, confessing his name. And do not forget, doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So when I'm engaged in, especially, not uniquely, but especially when I am engaged in my spiritual gifting, I'm doing priestly work. The priests in the Old Testament, Malachi, despised the table of the Lord. They used, they, they would allow lame and blind animals on the altar. They despised the table of the Lord. <laughs> but I can think of a lot of reasons for that. Um, doing sacrificial work is dirty. Yes? You've cut up a chicken. Most of you have cut up a chicken. Yes? There are some who perhaps never cut up a chicken. But, <laughs> but if you've cut up a chicken, you know how dirty, how messy that is. Yes? What do you want to do pretty quick? Wash your hands. Yes? And maybe even in the middle of it. My, my stepfather got us started on pork loin, grilled pork loin with uh, teriyaki sauce. Oh, we might have to have that when the kids are here. Oh, dear. But cutting up the, uh, the pork loin, it's got to be cold, and I've got to use the electric knife. But at some point in the middle, I've got to wash my hands. Are you with me here? Oh, but once it's marinating, and it goes on, I started to say it goes on the altar. Once <laughs> <laughs> Once it goes on that grill and it comes off, oh, I don't need any other food. There's nothing else necessary. The pork loin is enough. That's all I need. We have a priestly ministry to carry out. Uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2 talked about part of it, making your body a living sacrifice. And, and the first way he applied that in Romans 12, 3 to 8 was by way of spiritual gifting. Are you with me here? So, so Paul is calling, he's, he's recognizing his own apostolic ministry, which is, by the way, a spiritual gift. Yes? So as he is carrying out his apostolic ministry, he's, he's carrying out a sacrificial work. And, the, and since the sacrifice must be holy, and notice that at the end of verse 16, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, since the sacrifice must be holy, it must be as much like God as it can be. That's why lame and, and blind animals are not welcome on the altar of the Lord. They must be as much like God as an animal can be. Do you follow? So the sacrifice must be holy, and that entails the practice of grace with one another. Yes, brother? Explain what's more about spiritual sacrifice. I yeah. From I yeah. Yes. Okay. He identifies three ways within this whole section. Uh, first is ministry through spiritual gifting. Second is, is love. So 12.9 through 13.10 uh, uh, is, is love. And the third way is this passage that we've just come through, 14.1 to 15.13, by accepting people who differ with you on the way this Christian life should be lived. Uh, not separating because you eat meat and I don't, but accepting one another. And that means, as we pointed out last week, it means more than just saying, okay, Go eat your meat if you have to. It means 
making them members of your family. They're in your home. You're in their home. You spend time with one another. Jan? I, was, I was, got so excited, honey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I realized that what, I don't know what to make of this. <laughs> Go ahead, dear. When Jesus saves us, then we become that perfect sacrifice mm-hmm. and can do this yeah. priestly duty. Yeah. That's what I'm about. Yeah. So, um, the priests didn't like their ministry, and most of us don't like ours either because we want the honor and not the duty. <laughs> but the, the duty is part of the honor. Yes? I don't know the reference, but one verse says, whatever you do in word or deed, you all the glory of God. Yeah, it's in 1 Corinthians. And that is the same idea that what we do, mm-hmm. whether it's our, our work on the job, yep. The, uh, 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 Paul has said this in Romans 12, but he says it in the specific field of spiritual gifting. I think it's Peter also sa- says um, th- that as we speak, we must speak as the oracles of God. Uh, so um, that, that's fundamental. Um, careful how we speak, careful about the attitude with which we speak, careful about the content. Richard? This, I get the feeling of Paul's Wanting to be always puts himself in check. I want to be sure I'm telling everything correctly. And if it is correct, then the Holy Spirit will put his stamp of approval on it. If it's not correct, then the Holy Spirit will not. I mean, he's talking about something to these people. He's the first <coughs> one to talk about it. But look at 1 Corinthians 7. Yes, that's right. 1 Corinthians 7. Um, Paul makes a statement there. In fact, he makes two statements in 1 Corinthians 7. One is, <coughs> one is, uh, what I say now, I say, not the Lord. That is to say, earlier in chapter 7, he's quoted the Lord with instruction about marriage and divorce and remarriage. Now he gives his own opinion. But what's important is at the end of the chapter, 1 Corinthians 7, um, if I can find it. No, well, I, I, I'm looking for something other than verse 12. Um, oh, yes, verse 40. Uh, uh, she will be more uh, happy if she remains so, in my opinion, and I think I have the Spirit of God. And then in 14, 1 Corinthians 14, he makes a similar statement. Um, verse 37, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual... Let him acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's commandment. And if anyone is ignorant, he'll, he'll be ignorant. <laughs> um, so, uh, so Paul writes with the, with the evident assurance that the Holy Spirit is working through him. And what he's writing is the commandment of God. So uh, this passage, verses 15 to 21, an important passage, not only about apostolic ministry, but about just generally our own spiritual ministry, uh, spiritual gifting. I say again what we said a few weeks ago in the early part of chapter 12. Um, The scriptures never tell us that we must know our spiritual gift, nor do they tell us how to find out. And when a classmate of mine 
asked that or said, make that statement in class, he added a question. Why then do we make such a big deal out of both? Uh, that has led, led me into a course of thought over the years, and the course of thought has, has come to this conclusion. If, if the scriptures don't think it's necessary for us to know, and, uh, and they don't think it's necessary for us to tell, uh, to tell us how to find out our spiritual gift, then probably we need to quit worrying about it. Rather, there are, two or, uh, there are three things that I need to say. One is, then what do you do? Well, think about the spiritual gifts. If you omit the ones that we think are peculiarly miraculous, like healing and so, yes, if you leave those out, the rest of the spiritual gifts we're all commanded to do anyway. To exhort and to give and to evangelize, yes, and to help and to, yes, all right. Um, so, if, so that leads to the two other things that I need to say about spiritual gifts. One is that uh, it's just possible. I know it's not likely because he's only Jesus and the head of the body. Right, but it might be that the head of the body know, might know how to use his body, and if you will just get busy doing what we're commanded to do anyway, the head of the body will keep putting you into places where you're, he's using you in unique ways. Does this make sense to you? But secondly, so the, the head of the body might know how to use you because he's only Jesus, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do trust that you're understanding. I'm speaking ironically here. See, we don't believe that we can trust either the head of the body or the the Holy Spirit. Because we think we've got to put it into numbers. Well, the numbers say you have the gift of helping. No, no, no. The Spirit says that. Secondly, it might just be that the body will recognize your usefulness. And keep channeling you where, where the body needs you. Because my, my body never uses my finger to chew up food. Never has once in my life. Are you with me here? I've chewed up some other things. Yes? I've chewed up heels with my feet. But I've never chewed up food with my finger. Why? Because my body has known a long time ago. It figured out. You don't use the fingers for chewing up food. You use the teeth. Yes? Are you with me here? So those three things, if we keep those in mind, will probably be in good shape. Fred? Jim, through the years, churches I've been uh, often had battery psychological tests to determine your spiritual gifts. And then you get stuck into water and stuck into another. And that's always... Yeah. Uh, in uh, being in education all these years, I've been through accreditation more times than should have for the, for the number of years I've been involved. Our small college in Memphis was trying to get accredited and then trying to keep it. <laughs> so we got visits all the time, and I was on steering committees. When you have a faculty of 15, you're always on the steering committee. So, but in, in accreditation uh, for universities and colleges and schools, um, if it's not written down, it didn't happen. And if you can't quantify it, it's, it what's, whatever's written down is not relevant. So we live in a culture that's, that's driven by statistics. And we know about statistics. Smith? Liars or figures don't lie, the liars are 
Exactly. <laughs> so um, you can you can make the the numbers work out wherever you want them to go. So I'd, I'd rather leave this to the to the head of the body and the Holy Spirit. They seem to know what they're doing, but but we don't trust them. And even my friends in India who are charismatic don't trust the Holy Spirit because they don't trust the grace of God. They trust the control of man more than they trust the grace of God. Yes, sir, I'm sorry. Did you say the spiritual gifts and the spiritual fruit are synonymous? No. They're one without the other? They're probably not, but they're not synonymous. They're distinguishable. But if you don't have the spiritual fruit, you show them? I think you're right. Yeah. From that point, they're intimate. Yeah, they're they're intimately tied. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Rachel. Why leave out others like healing? Well, we're not commanded to do those. I'm not commanded to raise the dead, um, so I, I can't talk about those that way. You see, but um, I can talk about the others and say, yeah. So God simply chooses when I when when that is going to happen, and that's not up to me ultimately. So the paragraph that we've looked at is an important part of all that Paul has been saying. It's not specifically on target, but it is still the same point. Namely, um, you're a priest, and your your function you're not a priest. We are a priesthood. Again, I say the Bible never calls any individual believer a priest. As a believer, there are priests from Jerusalem who became believers, but that's not the point. I'm talking about no individual believer as a believer being called a priest, but we are all given priestly responsibilities and, and priestly descriptions. So we have a priesthood to carry out, and it includes spiritual honor, uh, ministry and our spiritual gifting, loving one another. So back to your point, brother, the loving one another uh, and, um, and accepting one another. Uh, but also many other things. Um, the uh, fruit of lips, continually praising his name and doing good and sharing for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. This is our priestly duty, priestly prerogative. It is our priestly dignity to carry it out. Uh, the third paragraph, 1522 to 29, I will come through Rome on my way to Spain after completing the ministry to the Greek saints to the poor at Jerusalem. So... Um, this is uh, 22 to 29. Verse 22. For this reason, I have been uh, uh, hindered in many ways from coming to you. For what reason? Well, it's because he's been building. He's been building the churches from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. One of the commentaries noted that this is a 1,400 mile uh, uh, as the crow flies trip. He's been he's been a busy man over the last years. Right, um, it's, it's, it's incredible how much Paul did. Uh, most of it that we know about between 48 and 60. That is not ages, but years. AD 48 and 60. All right, so 12 years. He's he's fulfilled the gospel. He says he's preached and established the church secure in major centers in every region, so that now he can move on. He doesn't want to go in, into areas where uh, the gospel has already been preached. So that's what, one of the reasons he's not come to, to Rome, yes? Because it's already established there. He's never been there. He didn't plant the church at Rome. Who did? We don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us, but there were people from Rome 
in Acts 2 at the day of Pentecost. And so it may have been some folks uh, that came back from Rome who planted the church in, Ro- in, in Rome. But he wants to have some fruit there, but only as he is on his way to Spain. He doesn't want to slight the church at Rome. He wants to go there. It's kind of like an American wanting to go to Washington, D.C. Yes, uh, everything started there in a way. Everything that we think is important as, as Americans is focused in one way or another there in Washington, D.C. Well, that was Rome for Paul, and now the, the church is strong and growing and vibrant in Rome. He wants to go there. He wants to touch them spiritually, be touched by them, encouraged and strengthened on, in his walk. But he's on his way to Spain. So uh, verse 23, but now having no more place to work in, this, in these regions and desiring, having a desire to come to you for many years, uh, so that I might uh, uh, go on to Spain, for I hope, uh, as I'm passing through, to see you and be uh, sent on my way. Is that what you have? Help, helped on my way. Hospitality in the in the first century entailed not so much having friends over for dinner. It entailed dealing with um, people traveling through town. And so um, when, since the hotels were not good places to stay, if you were a Christian, you looked for a Christian community in a town, and, and you hoped that somebody would put you up and help you. Uh, Paul's going to make this comment. Look over in chapter 15, I mean 16, I mean, verse uh, uh, 2. He's talking about Phoebe, um, so that you might receive her in the Lord worthily of the saints. And... Um, Assist her in whatever in ever in whatever matter she has need of. Um, um, the what's the point? The point is Phoebe apparently has some business in Rome, and the and the people of the church at Rome should assist her, get to know who the people are that she needs to go see. Do you follow this? Help her get on the get get the the work done, but uh, also give her a place to stay. This is what John means when he says not to not to. Um, uh, welcome uh, uh, heretics into your home. It's not that you can't sit down with a Jehovah's Witness and witness to them. It is that you don't give them a base of activity for their ministry. Does this make sense to you? So um, uh, the hospitality then also means when they're going on, when they're leaving town, you make sure you go with them part of the way to get them on the right road to where they're going, and furthermore, you give them provisions for at least the beginning of the journey. Does that make sense to you? So Paul is hoping maybe here in verse uh, 24 um, of Romans uh, uh, 15, hoping maybe that they will do the same thing for him. Send me there uh, uh, if uh, uh, I, I can't even read the rest of that. Verse 25. But now I'm going to Jerusalem. And this is, this is a critical part of this whole section. Verse uh, Twenty. Uh, what is this verse? Well, I don't know what it is. 25 to 29. Now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints. What saints? Uh, that's what I thought for many years. I've concluded it's not. He's serving the saints in, in, in Greece. Because the, the saints in Greece have taken up a, a, a worthy offering for uh, the, the saints back in Jerusalem. But they can't all take it to Jerusalem. So he's going to serve them 
as he says in Corinthians, if it's right, I, will, I also will go with those who take the gift. But he's serving the, the Greek saints as the Greek saints are serving the Jewish saints. Let's look at it. For, the, for Macedonia and Achaia, we're, we're delighted to make some... Um, you have contribution? Yes. Yeah. This is our word koinonia, fellowship. Sharing is a better word. Um, uh, some contribution for the, for the poor of the saints who are in Jerusalem. For they were delighted, and they are their debtors. For if um, the uh, Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they ought also to, uh, to uh, minister to them in physical things. And when I have, committed, when I have uh, completed this and put the seal for them for, uh, on their fruit, on this fruit. See, I think he's talking about the Corinthians that he's serving. Uh, I will set off uh, through you to Spain, and I know that when I come to you, I will come in the uh, fullness of the blessing of Christ. Let me talk to you just a minute about giving. There are three objectives to which we are commanded to give in the New Testament. Pastor, friend of mine whom I honor, I've known him for, well, this year, I've known him for 50 years. Um, He's a great pastor, a great teacher. Um, Boy, he's helped a lot of people in his ministry. But he said one day, uh, my parents started sending me tapes of this guy when I was in the service and um, wanted me to go to the same seminary this guy went to. And I did, because my stepfather said, if he can't tell the difference, then he he deserves whatever he gets. But but, uh, uh, the guy said in a sermon that my parents sent me, the, the New Testament does teach giving to the church. If so, I can't figure out where. <laughs> there are three objectives we're commanded to give to. One is, and notice that essentially they're all to people, not to organizations. So you give first to those uh, to the poor in the church. And I've put up Galatians 6.10 uh, as a kind of um, buffer on that. There, uh, by the way, that's, that's my verse. It's a very important verse to me. Galatians 6.10, do good to all men. <laughs> but especially those of the household of faith. So I'm not only Allman, but of the household of faith. So I'm encouraged by that. So our first responsibility in terms of giving to the poor is for the, for the family. Just as your first responsibility in making sure food's on the table is your family. Yes? All right. But if there's money left over and God's intent is that there be money left over, not for us to spend, but for us to give. Go to 1 Corinthians 9. Go see what that's talking about. It's very important that you see this. Giving is not how we get rich. Giving is, is how we get rich in giving. Right? Pardon? Yeah. Giving is not how we get rich. It's how we get rich in giving. Um, so God increases our seed for sowing, not for eating. Are you with me here? That, that's Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 9. Chapters 8 and 9 are the longest New Testament passage on giving. So maybe we ought to pay more attention to it. So first thing that I have on my list is the poor. But live a lifestyle. We've talked about this, I think, before. Live a, find a lifestyle before the Lord that is pleasing to the Lord and is, is comfortable for you, but that leaves you enough to be able to give. 
Secondly, you give to those who meet our spiritual needs. Galatians 6.6. 6. Let him who has taught the word communicate in all or share. Same verb that we had for contribution here in our text. Um, share with the one who teaches. Amen. <laughs> uh, um, and then third, um, those who extend the boundaries of the gospel. Important passage, Philippians 4.14-17. to 17. Uh, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, is not saying that he's just naturally going to take care of every need that you have. It's in context of your giving to Paul's needs or the Philippians giving to Paul's needs. So not only is he one who has served them well spiritually, but he's also extending the boundaries of the gospel. So missionaries. And these are the three objectives to which we are commanded to give. I was raised that if you're going to give, you give first to the church, and then whatever you have left over, you give to any other group. That's not what I find in Scripture. Um, I'll leave that for you to work out on your own. But this, the, the, the two of these are in this passage, namely to the poor. Note that it's not only the poor in your local assembly or in your local community. It may be people who live so far away that you would, you would never travel there to meet them, but you're, you're called to give to. Yes, sir? Yeah, and, and and absolutely it is. In fact, Paul uses that language in Philippians. It's a, a it's a a sacrifice of a pleasing aroma, well pleasing to God. Uh, there was another hand down here. Yeah, yes. I was just yes, but look at what giving to a person does instead of giving to an organization. When you give to a person, I, we have done this in the past, and it's been a while since we've done it, in part because I don't have the same access to the students that I did in Memphis. But we had mailboxes. It was against the law. You could get into, anybody could get into them. <laughs> that was against the law, the freedom of, uh, what was what was it, FISA, um, the, the student, the law that protects student rights and so forth. Yeah. Um, you could get into the mailbox, but but when I knew of a student need, we would put an envelope with cash in it with no note of any kind. And then I, it was it was set, those mailboxes were set where we had lots of couches and so forth, the student lounge. And I would just sit there. I kind of knew when the student came to the box and I, I would sit there and watch and oh, look what the Lord did. Who gave it to you? I don't know. It's just from the Lord. It's great. And it was so such a blessing. Are you with me here? But when you give person to person, it develops a, a bond between the persons. But it doesn't build a bond between the person and the organization. When the, when the organization gives to people, do you follow? So there's something God knew uh, about giving that we need to learn. about. Are, are, am I making sense to you? I think it's a whole lot better to do it anonymously. It is so exciting to do that. Uh, then, uh, so, uh, this giving. And then verses uh, uh, 30 to 32, please pray earnestly for my deliverance from the unbelievers in Judea. That wasn't God's plan. This is on the third missionary journey when Paul writes Romans. On the first missionary journey, he wrote one book, Galatians, or related to the first missionary journey, he wrote Galatians. The second missionary journey, he wrote two books, 
First and Second Thessalonians. On the third missionary journey, he wrote three books: First and Second Corinthians and Romans. Okay. Is that, you get that? All right. One on the first, two on the second, three on the third. You with me here? And then the rest he wrote from Rome. <laughs> but but the the point that I'm making is he's already on his way back to Rome. I'm sorry, back to Jerusalem. And Acts tells us everywhere the Spirit testifies that bonds and and, uh, imprisonment await me. Paul says that in Acts. So he knows what's coming. He just wants mercy from the Lord. Verses 30 to 32. How are we doing on time? It's past time. I don't need to say much about this. Let's finish the chapter at least. Uh, I beseech you, brothers, through our Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit um, to join me in the struggle in your prayers for me to God that I might be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and and the, the, my ministry, which is for the uh, saints, might be well-pleasing to the saints. These are Gentiles, after all, giving to the, to the Jews. Yes? What's that going to do for Gentile, Jew-Gentile relationships? Yeah. Um, so that uh, I may come to you with joy by the will of God uh, uh, and I might be um, revived among you. May the God of peace be with all of you. Paul was from uh, southern Turkey, so you all is right. Uh, we'll look at chapter 16 next time. And folks, there's, there's some stuff here that's fundamental. Uh, We'll need to talk about it, but uh, we'll look at chapter 16 next time. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your grace, and thank you now for seeing it in less packed ways, less dense ways. We've had to unpack so much of what's in Romans. We see it in life in this uh, portion of of, uh, that great book that you've given us. Now teach us to live by grace and and to embrace uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, finding him working in us all things that are well-pleasing in your sight. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.